Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1299. Interview with Lucy Commissar about Alexei Navalny. This is being recorded on April 19th of the year 2023. And it is my great pleasure and my privilege to bring back to our airwaves for, after many years, Lucy Commissar. And she will be sharing her, uh, expertise about, uh, many things. But in this case, not only Alexei Navalny, the Russian quote dissident, but also an award-winning documentary about him. Lucy, welcome back to our airwaves. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, against the background, perhaps, of the Ukraine war and in general the nuclear war, the hysteria about Russia and China. There was a documentary about Navalny. Alexei Navalny is the quote dissident du jour, uh, in the West, uh, American media in particular. And a documentary about him won the Oscar this past March. And you have written a piece, it was in the Gray Zone, among other publications. I will be reading that into the record in a future interview. But uh, you have deconstructed that documentary and uh, have pierced through the, frankly, I think, fairly obvious propaganda And I'm going to ask you to uh, lay out for us the landscape about that film. If you could give us the background about the making the film, the subject, the authors, uh, and who is – it reminds me of that old quiz show, you know, what's my mind? Will the real Alexei Navalny please stand up Uh, or perhaps please – So tell us – it's about the Russian political activist Alexei Navalny. And first of all, let's make sure that nobody thinks he's an opposition leader uh, because he's not an opposition leader. He's an opposition leader the way Guaido in Venezuela is an opposition leader. Now, the West charges with no evidence that he was poisoned with Novichok by Russian security agents. Uh, then he was allowed to fly to by Russia to fly to Germany for hospital care. Uh, because his wife requested it. And when he returned to Russia, he was arrested. Now, there are explanations to come for all of that. The three people credited as the authors of the production are Canadian Daniel Rohr. He admits he has never visited Russia, doesn't speak Russian. Bulgarian Christo Grozev of Bellingcat, which is an organization openly hostile to Russia, which uh, acknowledges financing by governments of the U.S., the U.K., and several in Europe. And he is really the one behind the film. And Russian Maria Pevchik, who uh, worked for Navalny's organization, even though she lived mostly outside Russia since 2006. In uh, 2019, she got a British passport and worked in Parliament. The investigation, as I indicated, was done by Bellingcat. CNN printed articles by Bellingcat uh, before the film came out, a year before it came out, even though Rohr is claimed as the filmmaker. Uh, Navalny has, again, been portrayed in our media as perhaps the Russian male incarnation of Joan of Arc. Uh, tell, us, tell us who the real Alexei Navalny is and what he is all about as a political animal. Okay. He has strong Washington ties. He was in 2009 to 10, a fellow of the Open Society Foundations, financed by George Soros, which supported opposition NGOs in Russia before being banned in 2015. These opposition groups tend to be the color revolution groups that are trying to uh, change the government. Regime change. Then in 2010, uh, he graduated from the Yale World Fellows, which was called the White House Fellows under Bill Clinton's presidency. So you need to understand that the U.S. 
uh, sometimes directly through some White House program, sometimes through its friends, gets uh, people who it thinks are up and coming, likely leaders in their countries, takes them in their 20s or early 30s and inculcates them with uh, the Washington line. It's quite common for that to happen. And at any time, there may be dozens or even a few hundred of these people from all over the world. So that was the kind of program that Navalny was in for two years. Then when he returned from the U.S. to Russia, he continued the nationalist line, which is the racist anti-migrant line. He had started in, in 2007 when he was the founder of the National Russian Liberation Movement, NARAD which included the movement against illegal immigration, a far-right organization. So in addition to opposing illegal immigration, that group targeted Russians from ethnic, religious, and sexual minority backgrounds. It provided assistance to Nazi skinheads, implicated in attacks on foreigners, uh, to representatives of um, sexual minorities, uh, anti-fascists. Uh, and very interesting, because you can still see this, and the point I'm making is this was all before he got invited to Washington as somebody that the U.S. wanted to groom. In a video, which you can still find on YouTube, if you if you see my article on the, the Navalny Review, I linked to it. He compares people from the Caucasus to cockroaches. He says that using a swatter or a shoe against them is no good. He said, I recommend a handgun. And the article uh, on YouTube, the, the link on YouTube is called the cockroach video. Uh, his uh, NARAD uh, stopped operating in 2011 because that year the Supreme Court of Russia declared its partner, the immigration one, an extremist organization, the anti-immigration one, and banned it. And Navalny at the time said NARAD, quote, organizationally failed, but formulated a very correct platform. That was really racist, right-wing, anti-immigrants, pretty much anti-anybody who's not uh, doesn't look like you and well, didn't look like him. Uh, Lucy, would you think that it would be fair if I characterized that and who knows, perhaps Navalny as well as something of a proto fascist? Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, I think so. Um, now, I mean, they were doing, uh, their ideology, uh, was very racist and and very 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 nasty and very violent. Now, in the film, in order to and people know about this, people that know know about this. So the director says in the film, he was known for having flirted with the extreme right. Flirted, uh, in my it looked like a pretty solid marriage to me, not a flirtation. <laughs> and, and then when he, he asks Navalny about this in the film, Navalny said in the film. Now, he says, or this was a year ago, we were we are creating we were creating a coalition, a broad coalition to fight their regime. And I consider it's my uh, 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 that I can talk to uh, anyone. Anyway, they're all citizens of the Russian Federation. So he was still defending his involvement with the extreme right. And Uh, what strikes me about that, it. Maybe I'm, I'm uh, pushing it a little too hard, but it reminds me of not exactly in verbiage, but when Trump was braced about the Charlottesville rally, the Take Back the or United Right rally in 2017, so there are good people on both sides. And uh, Navalny's remark strikes me as being in that vein. Well, it, I don't know whether that's you can compare that, but it seems to me that um, these were really these were nasties. But the fact that in the film he's still defending it, not saying, oh, well, I think better of it now. Now, when he returned to Russia after th- this period, uh, he started an anti-corruption campaign, which was endorsed by Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Do you think this was just an accident that after being uh, groomed for two years by pe- the people in Washington, he went back to Russia and started a, quote, anti-corruption campaign? I don't think so. And um, the, the uh, uh, stewardship of Navalny was 
uh, I, I recall in an interview we did in 2005, Lucy, about offshore, we focused on American International Group and former U.S. intelligence officer Maurice Greenberg uh, of AIB and the OSS and perhaps CIA. And uh, I, I was struck by the fact that Navalny was a uh, fellow at the Maurice Greenberg-named program at Yale University yeah. itself, strongly connected well, with... No, that's just because he gave money. He uh, uh, Greenberg gave money and he got naming rights. He got the plaque over the tour. So it, it wasn't – the program is not about uh, Greenberg or AIG. It's just he, he – Oh, got oh the, yeah, know, understood. Like um, you name a stadium. You, na- you name a university now if you give them some millions of dollars. But the point that's really interesting about him going back uh, to Russia and starting an anti-corruption campaign endorsed by Hillary Clinton – was he had been involved in a big fraud himself. Not only does he not have the right to start this campaign, he should be the object of an anti-corruption campaign. So let me tell you the story. It was a criminal fraud problem along with his brother, Alec. In, in, in 2008, again, this is before he gets invited to the, to the U.S., um, the state-owned Russian Post decided to end collecting parcels from clients' own distribution center. That is, you have a big company and you have a lot of packages. You don't have to take it to the post office. The post office will come to you. So they decided they're not going to do this service anymore. The companies are going to have to get their packages to the post office on their own. So Alec Navalny, who was working at the post office, persuaded several companies to shift to a privately owned chief subscription agency G, uh, called CPA, he wasn't revealing it was a company that he, Alexei, and their parents had just set up in the tax haven of Cyprus. Later, the, the company Yves Rocher, Vostok, which is part of the French cosmetics company, sued because they had gotten involved with this deal. They were deprived of free choice. They weren't told that this company uh, was from, from the guy who was working for the post office. But they were using subcontractors, which charged half as much as they paid the Navalny company. And Navalny cut out, kept the difference as a profit. They didn't do any of the work. They just kept the profit. So a court gave Alexei a suspended sentence of three and a half years and his brother a prison sentence of that that time because he'd been the one that actually organized the thing. Interesting how Europeans think think about corruption when, uh, like this. The European Court on Human Rights found, because there was a complaint brought by the Navalny people, by all accounts, this company, the the GPA, this uh, chief subscription agency, was set up for profit-making purposes, and the applicants thus pursued the same goal as any other founder of a commercial entity. So, in spite of questionable insider tricks, the European Court, Court deemed it no crime, because that's how business is done. It was, but it was still an ethics problem for this fighter against corruption because some people think that making money off insider dealing is unethical. And that is, again, that's a part of Navalny that was not shown in the film and, and that is not talked about. So, uh, the, the Yves Rocher was part of a French company. They sued for damages in France, but the Western media called the trial a sham. It was instigated by President Putin. And they never reported the full details of the case. And that's why Navalny ended up in, in, in prison, because he was on parole. And there are rules about parole. He w- was supposed to return to Russia as soon as he had recovered his health in Germany. And he didn't do it. He stayed on for a couple of months and did whatever he was doing, maybe working on this film, politicking, organizing his friends. And But that were that was grounds for his arrest in January of, of 2021 and his sentence to prison where he remains and U.S. court rules for parole violations would not be very different, but you're not so going to in the press. So in other words, Lucy, when he is portrayed as an anti-corruption fighter, this is a classic case of the fox guarding the hen house. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, now he is also represented as uh it, 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 it's hard for me to, uh, this is going to be broadcast on the radio and, uh, so much of this, I, I find myself inclined to reach into the foulest 
backwaters of my vocabulary, which would not work. But uh, Navalny is represented as a vibrant opposition leader and uh, the nemesis of Vladimir Putin and the man who would supplant Putin and so forth. Uh, Tell us about this, quote, opposition leader, unquote. Well, he has run for office and uh, he he never got more than a handful percentage. Uh, the Levada poll, which is very respected in the West, in, in it's 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 organized in Russia, but it's very respected. It's cited all the time. Said, look, uh, over a number of years, in 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 the, in the years before uh, all of these events happened, he got no more than two percent among Russians countrywide. Less in the regions, more among the young in Moscow. So he is not an opposition leader. He's not an anything leader. Uh, and, and now th- there's even less interest in him. Now, Navalny has been the alleged target and victim of a, quote, poisoning attempt by Russian intelligence, Vladimir Putin, take your pick. Uh, develop that for us, if you would. Well, he was in... Um, in August of 2020, he was winding up a campaign in southeast Siberia. Uh, and uh, on August 20th, he got on a flight from Tomsk in Siberia to Moscow, and he fell ill. The pilot decided to make an unscheduled stop in another city, Omsk, and Navalny was taken to a city hospital. The emergency ward uh, staff treated his symptoms. They stabilized him. A medical evacuation aircraft arrived from Germany the next day after Navalny's wife, Yulia, received Kremlin permission for his treatment in Germany, and he was flown to Berlin August 22. And uh, the West immediately said poisoning, but there were other explanations. He had a history of medical conditions, including diabetes, which could cause sudden reduction in blood sugar and uh, lead to the kind of shock that he experienced. And that had been reported in Russia uh, before these these events, but it was not made public after his arrival in Germany. And I found a link on IntelliNews, which is a business website published in Berlin, which said, quote, Navalny said himself that he suffered from diabetes in 2019. So that was clear. It was not reported. But the claim that Russian uh, agents pointed poison Navalny, that was invented by Bellingcat. Uh, and it was picked up by CNN. It became the essence of the film. So, uh, but there's a part, the, the, there's an interesting uh, part of the film uh, now, but most of it has no evidence. And, and it's, it's, it's one fabrication after another. But the film is done in, with such a rapid pace that the people watching it, listening to it, have no time to think about it, to think about, does this make sense? Okay. There's a long section about how Christo Grozev, uh, who was identified as working for a billing cat, and he's in the film, buys travel and contact data on the dark net to find names and phone numbers of Federal Security Service people, FSB agents, who had been traveling on planes to Siberia that month. But there's no way to verify that the charts that they draw and the faces that they post uh, prove what Grozev and Bellingcat say they prove. In fact, CNN itself reported a few months later, December 14th, CNN cannot confirm with certainty that it was the unit based at Academica Vargi Street that, they say, poisoned Navalny with Novichuk the night of August 19th. So after this long song and dance by Krista Grozev uh, and, and the film, which he continues to, to com- complain uh, that this is what happened, CNN says we can confirm it. There's no proof. It's already a fake charge. But so after that, this should set us up for the next fake charge, and I call it the great phone call hoax. And it's the smoking gun, and that's 
what uh, what people whenever they talk about this on on Twitter or uh, any discussion, they say, oh, it was so shocking that the, that this smoking gun that he got the guy to admit it. This is what happened. The people who made the film understand the psychology of manipulating audiences. Slowly, you bring them in to a secret scam that's going to be played on the bad guys. In this one, it starts with Navalny putting on a body mic. A body mic, he pulls up his shirt, they tape a body mic on him. He's not going somewhere to secretly record somebody. Only his own team is in the room. The real recording mic is off camera where the film audience can't see it. Why would you have to put on a body mic? Think about that. The body mic is a special effect. It's a dramatist stage trick. And uh, in, in my story, I link to a clip from the film where Navalny speaks to the camera. Now I'm totally feel like I'm an undercover agent with the wired up. Well, his English isn't great, but you get the picture. Does the audience know they're a butt of a joke? Why is he putting on that that microphone? Uh, so that, that's that's one one part of it. It just shows you that that they're they're tricking the audience and the audience isn't getting the trick. Okay. In other words, let me just uh, emphasize this, Lucy. Uh, he is putting on a bobby mic as though he were going to be interviewing someone in prison, and uh, that was going to be surreptitiously recorded. But this, in fact, has nothing to do with any sort of encounter like that. So the taping of the uh, hidden mic to his body is simply a rhetorical device. Yeah, it's to um, throw people off the track, and and he's talking about being an undercover guy, and and because they're all in a room, it's maybe it's a hotel room, it's not clear, but it's just them in the room, and they're talking to some to some people on the phone, so nobody's seeing him. But so that 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 just that sets the stage. Okay, so who does he call? First, he calls three alleged FSB agents. Uh, he's talk, calling them on the phone. He says to each of them, I am Navalny. Why do you want to kill me? And the fake people hang up. Now, why would he call somebody like that? What's the point of it? The voices aren't real. They sound the same. They're maybe maybe computer generated or it's a professional actor. What's the point? It's to get the audience into the game. It's the psychology. Then there is the famous call to the security services scientist. And uh, this is done in... Russian and then it's but it's translated. So Navalny says, Konstantin Borisovich, my name is Ustinov Maxim Sergeyevich. I am Nikolai Platonovich's assistant. And he says, uh, I need 10 minutes of your time. We'll probably ask you later for a report, but I'm now making a report for Nikolai Platonovich. What went wrong with us in Tomsk? Why did Navalny, the Navalny operation fail? Now, according to Bellingcat, the real Kudryavtsev worked at the Ministry of Defense Biological Security Research Center as a specialist in chemical and biological weapons, supposedly not stupid. So this talkative, quote, Constantine says, I would rate the job as well done. We did it just as planned, the way we rehearsed it many times. But when the flight made an emergency landing, the situation changed not in our favor, the medics on the ground acted right away. They injected him with an antidote of some sort. So it seems the dose was underestimated. Our calculations were good. We even applied extra. Now, that would be small. That would be a lot of evidence, right? Uh, if that was a true call. Now, this call was said to be uh, December 14th. Now, remember, the events we're talking about were August 20, 21, 22. This is almost three months later. Navalny was questioned by the Berlin uh, Staatsanwaltschaft, the district attorney, on December 17th, three days after this alleged phone call. Did he tell them about the phone call? It was Kudryadsev is talking about what they did. I contacted the, the uh, district attorney of Berlin by email, and they confirmed by email and that they Navalny. They said yes. Then I sent a link to Navalny's claims about the December 14th call three days before. I asked if he told them about it. The spokesman said he could not comment further. 
obviously, if that had happened, he would have told them about it three days later, and he didn't. So what else um, is show, shows that this is a fake? The, the, the film, uh, it, it's Donald Fides falls apart in many different respects. Uh, and you look about Novichok and the conflicting dates and timing of this alleged, quote, poisoning, unquote. Yeah. Develop that for us, if you would. So Yulia, the wife, says in the film... After a week, I was unexpectedly called to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. She's in Germany. But as the Navalny group arrived August 22, that would have been around August 29. She said, they said we have discovered your husband was poisoned with an agent from the Novichok group. But it wasn't the, the lab that the first lab, which is at the Charité Hospital that found this. They didn't find this at all. The German government announced not one week later, but two weeks after the group's arrival, that a laboratory of the German armed forces had identified a nerve agent from the Novichok group in blood samples collected after the patient's admission to Charité. But unlike the civilian doctors who did not find Novichok, the military lab would not release details of its tests. No toxicology report, no name of the expert in charge of the testing and of the interpretation of results, no name and formula of the chemical compound of the Novichok group, because it's a group. There are a lot of them. They refused to send any medical or toxicological evidence to substantiate the attempted homicide to Moscow prosecutors who were investigating an alleged crime. So without evidence, the story became the West's. Putin poisoned Navalny with zero evidence. And the story kept changing. First, the poison was in a teacup at the airport cafe. That was uh, from Maria Pavchuk, she said. Then a water bottle in his hotel room. Then underpants. Nobody said in what form. Powder, aerosol spray, a gel. Was the FSB counting on Navalny not to notice or feel anything, any moisture as he dressed? So on the plane, um, Navalny fell ill and the pilot diverted to Omsk where he was transferred to the hospital. But the, the, lethal, the lethality of the dose should have been fatal after the symptoms started, but they didn't. It wasn't. The symptoms started only after several hours and they remained non-lethal, non, non-fatal. So the whole notion that this was, Novichok is always described as most lethal, strong, powerful. You know, you die when you look at it. Nothing happened to him. Uh, allegedly, that was also used on the Skirpals, uh in the UK. Uh, interjecting very briefly, uh, Lucy, as someone that has studied the intelligence community, uh, the Technology of assassination was so advanced 40 years ago that any major intelligence service would have had multiple means of terminating a subject, an enemy, in such a way as to leave no discernible trace as to uh, what actually caused the death. The notion that uh, the, 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 the FSB is the gang that can't poison straight it is to any knowledgeable person just ludicrous. Anyway, uh, uh, what that, you know, there, there's a kid's cartoon character called Captain Underpants, and, uh, maybe this is, uh, Group Captain Underpants. Tell us about Navalny's underwear. Okay, so we're going back to Kudryavtsev and who Navalny allegedly phoned. Now, CNN, uh, declares, it has written that Kudryavtsev uh, flew from Moscow to Omsk on August 25th, five days after the event to take position, possession of Navalny's clothes and clean them. But the FSB would have known of the diversion to Omsk August 20th. Would it have waited five days to send an agent there? Then uh, the idea was that the poison was on the underpants. Were they still considered dangerous? Did the hospital workers who undressed Navalny get sick? Many people were exposed to Navalny and his deadly underpants, but not one has been reported to have fallen ill. The passengers who uh, attended him in the plane and who flew on to Moscow have not reported medical problems. But the film Kudryabtsev voice says, when we arrived, that's in Omsk, 
they gave the underpants to us. The local alms guys brought them with the police. Did any police fall ill? Then Kudryab says, the fake says, when we finished working on them, everything was clean. He explains that solutions were applied, so there were no traces left on the clothes. However, Navalny is shown in Berlin holding the underpants. Did the Omsk police ship the decontaminated item to Germany? Uh, and there's even conflicting information about whether the underpants remained in Omsk. Navalny's press secretary, Kiri Yarmesh, posted a tweet August 20, which you can see, which I posted on my story, with the text, Yulia took Alexei's things with her. She said that she did not allow them to be confiscated. However, the Guardian reported September 21st, that was a month after these uh, the events, that Navalny demanded that Moscow return his clothes. At any rate, the Charité Hospital said it did not test the water bottle or the clothes, so we don't know where the underpants are or if it matters. But, but conflicts of information and of, uh, of facts all going all the way through. Uh, the alleged poisoning took place on August 20th. Uh, the phone call was December 14th. Uh, is that problematic in your view? Well, of course there is. Of course it is. Um, and I, I, I picked up a comment uh, I saw online from Ronald Thomas West. He identifies as a U.S. Special Forces veteran working in Europe. And he he writes... The poisoning happened on 20 August. The hoax call is made on 14 December and released by Bellingcat on 21 December. He says, now, wait a minute. The context of the call, a desperate demand for answers of what went wrong. Navalny didn't die for a report to a higher up authority is something you would expect within the first 48 hours, not nearly three months later. By the time this call was made, that dust should have settled been vacuumed up by Russia's intelligence services, everyone would have been debriefed by this time, including the target of the hoax call. Uh, so again, if anybody had seen this, paid attention to the facts, it's clear that it was a fake. But when you, when you run a film with all kinds of excitement going on, the people that watch it don't want to or, or just can't or don't uh, understand uh, that it's a fake. Uh, a Mayor Daisy Hart, the film's co-editor, uh, had something interesting to say on her website. Develop that for us, if you would. Yes, she was co-editor of the film. She said on her website, it's the best thing I ever worked on, the highlight of my career. And then she said, Navalny was a Trojan horse. Hmm. I emailed her and asked what she meant pointing out that Merriam-Webster defines Trojan horse as, quote, someone or something intended to defeat or subvert from within, usually by deceptive means. So she walked it back and said, well, they were hastily chosen words on a, on a social media post. And um, she didn't want to talk anymore. She said I should talk to the press agent for the film, which I did, and who he refused to talk to me. So that was a, that was a, a, a mistake. Um, do you see this film, obviously, which, which garnered, uh, considerable gravitas at the Oscars, do you see this as fitting into a larger, uh, context of, uh, not just U.S.-Russian relations, but the portrayals, the plural, of Russia in the U.S.? It, yes, exactly. Um, there's an unidentified woman who says, what to do with Navalny presents a conundrum for the Kremlin. Let him go and risk looking weak or lock him up, knowing it could turn him into a political martyr. Uh, a U.S. broadcaster says, unexpectedly, Vladimir Putin has a genuine challenger. More than any other opposition figure, Alexei Navalny gets ordinary people out to protest. This is such a lie. This is so far from the truth. This is such a fantasy. As I said, um, the Levada poll gives him uh, maybe it gives him one or two percent. I I, I, I showed the pictures of the poll in my story. One, depending on the year, one or two percent. That is that is the uh, the threat. Uh, I uh, talked to Eric Krauss, who's somebody I've known for years. He's a Frenchman. He lives in Moscow since 1997. 
He's a financial strategist. And in fact, he's been quoted in the uh, Western press on financial issues. I, I found some of his stories. So he's a pretty legitimate guy. He said, Mr. Navalny was always a minor factor in Russia. He had a hard, hardcore supporter base, Western aspiring young people in Moscow and St. Petersburg. He calls them the Facebook generation. He was never much loved out in the sticks, could never have polled beyond 7% nationwide, much less now. Even before the war, ordinary Russians now increasingly see the West as the enemy. Navalny is seen as the agent of forces seeking to break or constrain Russia. Now he would get closer to 2%. Of course, that's what Levada says. Krauss said he is the supreme political opportunist. In Moscow, speaking in English to an audience of Western fund managers and journalists, it is the squeaky clean liberal Navalny, full of free markets, diversity, social justice. Hearing him a few months later in Siberia, speaking in Russian, one encounters an entirely different animal, fiercely nationalistic, angry, somewhat racist. There his slogan is kick out the thieves, but especially Russia for the ethnic Russians. Anyone without Slavic blood, especially immigrants from the Caucasus, are second-class citizens. So this shows that he hasn't changed uh, from the time of uh, oh, the 2006, 7, 8, the time when, when he was working with the nationalist troops. He seems to be exactly the same, because I, I certainly do trust Eric Krauss, who is very, very sophisticated. Well, it's interesting, too, at the same time as Navalny is taking the right-wing slash Russian slash uh, racist slash uh, Russian fascist line of uh, people from the Caucasus being, you know, degenerates, basically. Uh, you, in, in the early part of this century, uh, the U.S. Uh, was, uh, well, the, the elements behind uh, Osama bin Laden were also financing the terrorist activities in the Caucasus as well. And Navalny could be seen as perhaps the uh, the vinegar in the warfare of that particular poached egg, uh, disclosing my, my ancient background as a short-order cook. Uh, Lucy, if you wish to, uh, when you posed some difficult questions in the Q&A session after the showing of the film. Uh, this apparently rubbed some people the wrong way. Can you discuss the response of people at that Q&A session and then yes. what happened afterward? Yes. Um, so I'm a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. I've been a member for many years. And, I, uh, and it had a screening November 9th, 2022. Uh, screening by CNN at the Hudson, at its Hudson Yards, uh, screening center in Manhattan. I went to it. In the talk back, I asked a question. Uh, I said, my name is Lucy Commissar. I'm an investigative journalist. I want to delve more into the Kudryavtsev story. Mr. Navalny was questioned by the prosecutor in Berlin on December 17th. Three days earlier was the phone call with Kudryavtsev. Did he tell the prosecutor about the phone call, which I assume they would have had to check the authenticity of? And what did they determine about it? And he claims on the phone call uh, that uh, he examined these things August 25th. But on August 20th, but in fact, Kudryasa didn't say that. Uh, Bellingcat said that. But but I'm talking about uh, the dates and the, the timing. And then I said, uh, the press secretary said Alexei's things were taken by Yulia before that. Yes, that's why the dates are important. He examined them on August 25th, he said on the phone call, but uh, the, the, the flight had been the 22nd, and uh, the press secretary said Alexei's things were taken by Yulia before that, and she didn't allow them to be seized. So I said, how could they be examined by this man after they were already taken away? Finally, the Berlin doctor said they didn't detect any poisoning in Navalny's blood, but two weeks later, it was the German Armed Forces Laboratory that said, yes, it did. So I said, all these things I think are contradictory, and I would like to know the facts of why these contradictions exist. So Christo Grozev of Bellingcat and uh, the filmmaker uh, replied, almost none of this was actually correct, and including the sequence of events. I mean, this was reactive, and 
the FSB officer on screen recording what I made on my phone, confessing to all of that. I said, you said it's him. We don't know it's him. Grozev. Well, I think the rest of the world knows. And now, okay, be nice to know who you work for, because I said out loud, I said that was a Joe McCarthy question. I went to the post film reception and asked the filmmaker, the director, Roar, if I could interview him. He screamed at me, no, at the top of his voice, much louder than I am saying now. And he accused me of working for the Russians. And, uh, of course, the winner was, uh, I consider, the winner was the deep state and its asset. The Oscar winner was the deep state and its asset, Bellingcat, with a shout out to Victoria Newland and her acolyte, Anthony Blinken, plus the mainstream and so-called independent media for turning a blind eye to the film's fabrications. Uh, because this film feeds Russophobia, primes Americans to support Washington's proxy war against Russia and Ukraine, even with the danger of nuclear annihilation. And uh, I think that golden Oscar should be draped in black. Well, one of the things that looms very large in this scenario, and that is uh, that uh, Mr. Grozhev of the Bulgarian nationality, correct? Yes. Uh, he yes. works for Bellingcat, and Bellingcat has been a major player in the uh, anti-Russian media, and I, I think it's fair to call it propaganda scene. Uh, it also figured in the alleged leaks, and we haven't got time to, to even go into that, but Bellingcat is not a neutral uh, organization by any means. Uh, tell us who funds Bellingcat and in what context they work? Bellingcat is part of several networks financed by the UK Foreign Office and Defense Ministry. Also gets money from State Department and the National um, Endowment for Democracy. One of the groups is Integrity Initiative. It's an anti-Russian propaganda agency with tentacles throughout Europe. One of its founders was former NATO special advisor Chris Donnelly. It doc, its documents were hacked a few years ago, giving us a good window into what they're doing. Uh, and they have set up cells throughout Europe. They call them clusters, which I think sounds like stars. I think cells is a better word. The cell in the UK includes Vladimir Lvovich Ashurkov, who was executive director of Navalny's Anti-Corruption Foundation. After uh, accusations of embezzlement, he fled Russia for London, uh, London. So you see, it's 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 an in, it's just an incestuous group. Now, the Integrity Initiative documents name Bellingcat as one of its key organizations, along with DFR Digital, which is part of the NATO government's funded Atlantic Council. Uh, they are sent abroad. Their their organizers are sent abroad to carry out the UK's deep state mission. Uh, the the use the UK cell also includes. John Loff, former U.S. ambassador to NATO. One may assume the deep state plays a role. And so, by the way, uh, in the U.K. cell is tax fraudster William Browder. Um, Bellingcat is also a member of the U.K. Defense Ministry's Zinc Group of NGOs, along again with Atlantic Council's uh, DFR uh, and the Institute for Statecraft, which is the parent of the Integrity Initiative. Uh, Bellingcat and DFR were sent to North Macedonia to interfere in that country's 2019 election. They went to promote the election of a pro-NATO candidate. Then with no shame, Bellingcat ran an article entitled Russia's Interference in North Macedonia, uh, which, of course, it, it had spent weeks. Uh, it's people had spent weeks doing. Now, Bellingcat founder Elliot Higgins lies a lot. Um, he denied accepting accepting funding from the UK Foreign Office or collaborating with it. But after uh, the hack, the zinc documents leaked in 2019 and showed him on, on, showed, showed he was there. He was there in the documents. He admitted it. And he assumes that people have no memory because in March. He attacked my article exposing the Naval, Navalny film hoax. And he told Newsweek um, in, in the attack on me when he's talking about Bellingcat, that he got no foreign funding. When I sent Newsweek the evidence of the funding, Newsweek wrote, 
Bellingcat describes itself as being an independent international collective that does not accept funding from national governments. But Newsweek said the European Union is listed among current funders and it has previously received money from the U.S. National Endowment for Democracy, among others. So I have to hand it to Newsweek. They were honest. Uh, Newsweek also um, wrote in its article that Higgins said that in the case of my claims about Navalny's previous health conditions, there were no articles that supported the claim. It contradicted him. Quote, the piece on Commerce's website does, however, include a link to an article from BNE IntelliNews, which cited Navalny as having said he suffered from diabetes in 2019. But even Newsweek calls Bellingcat a Netherlands-based investigative journalism group when we know it's an MI6 cutout with direct funding from the uh, UK and US governments. Now, what's really interesting, which I've never seen anybody write about, I was int- I looked at their, their website and they said that they have an office at a certain address in Amsterdam. So I checked out the, the address of the office. The, uh, the address that it lists on its documents as headquarters for its journalism organization turns out to be a phone answering and mail forwarding service. Besides which Higgins lives in Leicester, England, not in, not in Amsterdam, but it's, you know, it's, it's quite an, quite a nice building. I had an email conversation with a staffer from that service and I, and it's right on the canal. It's a very narrow building. If you've been in Amsterdam, there's some gorgeous narrow buildings right on the canal. I asked if there were any other offices at that address because maybe there's somebody on the top floor. No, no, it's just us. So he's lying there. Um, but Netherlands, why the Netherlands? Netherlands is helpful because of deep state support. It gives some money and also financial secrecy. Uh, Bellingcat's filing in the Netherlands uh, tells you nothing, but he doesn't have any problems with people, government in the Netherlands. You don't have to really say anything. And this, so to to com- complete that part, what's so interesting, I was fascinated. I've been reading a lot of these uh, hacked uh, papers. Even Bellingcat's own allies don't think too much of it. There was a confidential report uh, in 2018 called Upskilling to Upscale. It was put out by the Expose Network, which is a UK-funded program, which would offer grants to groups to counter disinformation, meaning it would put out anti-Russian propaganda in coordination with the British Foreign Office. If you look at page 75, it notes that one of the possible partners, Bellingcat, quote, was somewhat discredited both by spreading disinformation itself and by being willing to produce reports for anyone willing to pay. Have you seen that written any place that says Bellingcat, an independent uh, what whatever they say that that has found out this information about the guy connected to the, the Pentagon leaks? Can I say this again? That one of their po- putative partners said Bellingcat was somewhat discredited both by spreading disinformation itself and by being willing to produce reports for anyone willing to pay. Now, of course, that's not a problem for America's spooks because former CIA agents explain Bellingcat's function. They are quoted in Foreign Policy magazine in 2020. And Mark Polymeropoulos the CIA's former deputy chief of operations for Europe and Eurasia said, we love this. They don't have to provide um, because, you know, we don't have to provide classified ev- evidence. They don't have to provide any evidence. They just reference the work of Bellingcat. Bellingcat says X. Of course, they have been fed X by the CIA, but that's how it works. And this appears, I think, uh, we don't know yet. I think that's what happened with the Pentagon leaks because the deep state, it has worldwide eavesdropping capability, phones, uh, Internet, email. It has legions of spies, but they didn't want to explain how they got the culprit. So they just passed on the classified information that Bellingcat could provide to the mainstream media. Bellingcat, the little guy, one guy sitting in Bulgaria, another guy sitting in Leicester, England. They're the ones that discovered this before the CIA and the NSA and and the spooks uh, that they have all over the world. So I think that that is why Bellingcat exists. 
it's a cutout. It's an Intel cutout. And the articles that it writes are always uh, supportive and just basically echoing U.S. policy, whether it's the Skripal uh, alleged uh, uh, Novichuk uh, case, which, of course, there's never been any proof that that ever happened, uh, whether it's the Syria uh, uh, sarin bombing. By the way, if you look at that, remember the white helmets, they much, they were in very much involved in this. If you look at the document, Integrity Initiative, they are listed as one of the partners. How could anybody possibly now believe that? They are listed as one of the partners. So that is what Bellingcat and Elliot Higgins and, and Christo Grosev are. They are Intel assets and, uh, everything they write and, and, and what they say and the visits they make when there's an election about to happen. So where they can put their thumb on the scale, it's it's all uh, they're basically spies. They're they're basically uh, the MI6 uh, CIA uh, assets. Well, you mentioned, uh, if, if I'm recalling correctly, that uh, according to Newsweek, the National Endowment for Democracy had uh, helped to support Bellingcat, correct? Yes, but I gave them that information, which they've, you know, some of this stuff is actually, he admitted some of it online. He admitted in a tweet, and it's, it's, it, there, you can find it. Sometimes he's admitted it, and sometimes you just find it someplace else. But yes, it's documented, but that, but that's what, you know, the NED is, is the uh, follow on to the CIA. When the CIA it, it, got a vice It, it was founded by William Warren. Casey. Say this again. Yeah, NED was founded by William Casey in the 1980s, and his co-founder, a former Smith College professor, Alan Weinstein, who then became uh, George W. Bush's uh, director of the National Archives, uh, said, we we will do openly what the CIA used to do covertly uh, X number of years ago. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was supposed to. We, we were both speaking at the same time, but that's what I was about to say. That when it got to be an embarrassment, they just they just handed over their um, <laughs> their tasks and their money and and their their list of uh, organizations. Uh, it, it went from the CIA to the NED, and uh, and that's, that's why Bellingcat gets their money. If you look at the list of where they get their money from, either in tweets which he has been, <laughs> has admitted, because some people come up with the evidence and he admits it um it's all u.s i'm losing you're dropping out for whatever reason hello lucy can you hear me for some reason, Lucy is... Okay, there's some from the Netherlands. Uh, the fact that I have numerous times, and people refer to them as an... Ind- you know, you don't have to work very hard to find out a supported operation. So for the media to, to say that they are, you know, it's either... It's disinformation. Let me say, it is disinformation for a publication to call them an independent journalist group. No way. No way. Uh, going back to the documentary itself, given the... Uh, apparently fundamental position of Bellingcat in the production of this quote documentary unquote. Uh, how, what do you think that basic, aside from the uh, parsing of the claims and the inaccuracies in the film, what do you think uh, Bellingcat's position in this really says about the film as an entity? I think the film was edited in Langley. I think the film is a Langley film. That's what I think. I have no evidence for it, but we know that Bellingcat uh, did the, quote, the research for it. Uh, uh, they they say that. And in articles by CNN, initially before the film came out, uh, the whole uh, premise of the story is put in those articles by, by Bellingcat, uh, not by the director Rohr, by Bellingcat. And, uh, that, that's how, that's how it started. And I, and I, I think it's a CNN film. I mean, I think it's a, it's a CIA film. It's a Langley film. This is what they, this is a, another, it's a disinformation film. This is, this is what, this is why Bellingcat is there. This is what Bellingcat does. It does inf- disinformation for the intelligence community. This was an, an intel film. Um, and I, 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 I wanted to ask when I said, 
to Roar, can I interview you? And when I spoke to the co-editor, I all, one of the questions I asked the editor who talked about the Trojan horse, I, I asked her by email, but wouldn't respond whether or not, uh, she had, cause, cause, um, Roar said in, in this, uh, in the meeting, uh, in the talk back that he had spent a year in a little room in Toronto editing the film. But this, uh, woman is listed on the credits as ed- editor. And so I wanted to know, did she go up to Toronto to work with him? Did they, uh, and she, by the way, is uh, listed as living in the UK, uh, or did they work someplace else? And I wanted to get more details of how the film was edited, because frankly, the subtlety, and we discussed earlier the, the way of um, getting people uh, to not think about the truthfulness of the film. There's a whole section where they go to a pony farm and isn't that sweet and they're ponies and, you know, it is lovely uh, greenery uh, in, in Germany. And it's, it's basically to lull people. And I think the psychologists in Langley are the kind of people that could put together a film like this. And again, I have no evidence, but this is just what they can do. This is sophisticated disinformation of the sort that Wallingcat is involved with, of the sort that uh, Langley is involved with, of the sort that the MI6 is involved with. Very sophisticated disinformation. Uh, something, Lucy, uh, I think uh, the context in which this could also be seen, and that is the Orwellian manifestation uh, of the media and, and our culture in the wake of the Ukraine war. I have covered the pivotal role of OUNB successor Nazi and fascist organizations in the post-Maidan government ad nauseum. And, and these uh, names and these elements are well known to the audience, to this program. And even our badly skewed media will talk about this. Even uh, the FBI and DHS were talking about uh, American Nazis and white supremacists and those of other countries going to eastern Ukraine to get uh, combat training. And then when the war began in February of last year, Everything went down the memory hole, and if you dared to talk about Nazis in Ukraine, and that's exactly who those people are, uh, then you were obviously a Putin agent, either a Putin dupe or an actual Russian agent. It is uh, McCarthyism, too, so to speak. It is quite remarkable, and perhaps the documentary might have been uh, nicknamed Triumph of the Shill. And, uh, because that, that is what it is, of course, obviously playing on the name of the, uh, Lenny Riefenstahl documentary of the Third Reich in the night about the 1936 Olympiad. Uh, Lucy, tell us, uh, we've got just a couple of minutes left. Uh, tell us about your website and where people can find out more about you. It's called thecommissarscoop.com, uh, the, and then commissar is K-O-M-I-S-A-R scoop.com you will see the Navalny story at the top and then uh, some other uh, stories uh, I, I'm very eclectic the stories underneath that are about the corruption of the American life insurance company and uh, how they are using uh, fake assets to basically to to uh, to cheat uh, and uh, and how the government is not doing anything about it because of this the Congress, uh, years ago, took away the power of the federal government to regulate insurance companies because insurance companies knew they could buy off the states much uh, more easily. So that's uh, that's also up there. And also on uh, Twitter, it's at Lucy Commissar. So if people look there, and also and on the Navalny story, there are links to many of the things I I mentioned. And and please uh, watch that uh, cockroach film, uh, the, the Navalny cockroach film, uh, and. Uh, and, 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 you, and go to some of some of the other links. I will be writing something specifically about Bellingcat, as much of this has has come up uh, recently, which basically just confirms what I already knew and suspected. But I, I began doing looking back into a lot a uh, lot more uh, of what they have been involved with, and it all it all comes together. 
so I'll be writing more about that. But right now, the things to read are the, the Navalny story and then read the, the stories about the uh, life insurance uh, companies. All righty, and that is uh, where you can find out more about Lucy's work. And, of course, uh, we've done a number of interviews with Lucy over the years, and those are all archived on the SpitfireList.com website. This concludes for the record program number 1299. Interview with Lucy Commissar about Navalny. This is being recorded on well, April 19th of the year 2023. For Lucy Commissar, this is Dave Emery saying thanks for listening.